that way. We ought to live as though it's tomorrow, it's right now. In fact, it could happen before we finish this service today. Could you imagine getting done singing it as well, my soul, and Lord haste the day, and all of a sudden we finish that last note and it stops and the trumpet sounded. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, you all be excited because you wouldn't have to listen to me preach. But uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? I really am. And uh, what a day that's going to end up being. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 34 and hold your place there for a moment. I'm going to read some other Scriptures to you before we get there. Isaiah chapter number 6 and verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse number 11. The Bible says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from Thee. Thou reignest over all, and in Thine hand is power and might. And in Thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. Psalm 48, verse number 1, the psalmist writes, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. Psalm 136, the psalmist writes, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him who alone doeth great wonders, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that made great lights, for His mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for His mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for His mercy endureth forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for His mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for His mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever, and slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endureth forever. And gave their land for an heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Even an heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever. Who remembered us in our lowest state, for his mercy endureth forever and hath redeemed us from our enemies, for His mercy endureth forever. Who giveth food to all flesh, for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, for His mercy endureth forever. 
Psalm 34, in verse number 1, psalmist writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Father, we come to You once again. Lord, may we for the next few moments lay aside the cares of this world, those things that weigh heavy upon our minds that distract our thinking from the reading, the understanding, the preaching of Your Word. I pray for the next few moments You would help us to have our sight clarified, that our eyes would be opened, that I would be able to see more clearly, and those that are here today would be able to see more clearly who You are. And Lord, may it have its effective work in our hearts to constrain us, to motivate us, to magnify You, and to exalt Your name. I pray that You would help us today as we come to Your Word. Would You speak to hearts? May Your Holy Spirit have free reign. May He have absolute surrender of our wills to His will. Father, help us this morning. The truth is, we can come and meet, we can read verses, and we can speak. But Lord, if You don't do a work in the hearts, then we have wasted our time here this morning. So Father, help us, I pray. Do that which cannot be done by man. And may we leave here rejoicing that a work has been done in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist makes the expression throughout this last psalm that we read that the Lord is great. He's great in creation. He's great in the protection and the deliverance of His people. He's great in the affairs of this world. And yet there is no thought any greater than the thought, His mercy endureth forever. For as great as God is, perhaps the greatest thing that you and I know Him for is for His mercy. When we understand who God is and we understand who we are, we can easily say as the psalmist did, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy hands, the sun, moon, and stars which thou hast made, he says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? I fear so often in our lives we become so egocentric in our thinking. We, we believe that the world revolves around us and our will and what we want. And even those that are the most faithful and most ardent of Christians can find themselves very easily in a state of apathy towards the, the majesty, the might, the greatness of the God that we serve. And from time to time, we, I believe, ought always to keep in mind, but from time to time, I think it does our hearts good to come to God's Word and to look for Him in the pages of it as to how it describes Him so that we can have a better view of who He is. I believe we're living in a world where uh, those that are lost are certainly in darkness, but I'm sad to say that I believe sometimes in our Christian lives we can get to a place where even our vision has come dim. And we're in need of being revived. We're in need of a new vision and a new view of God. I remember as a young kid, I was struggling as I got into fifth grade, uh, having a hard time seeing things in the room and, and seeing the blackboard. And I would try to get the teacher to allow me to sit in the front row. And when I got into sixth grade, it was even worse. And uh, I, would, I would sit in the front desk. And even then, I could not see what the teacher was writing on the blackboard. And uh, they, you know how kids are, they like to disrupt the class, and I think the teacher thought that for a while, and for several months she tolerated me having to literally stand up out of my desk and walk up to the blackboard. And I guess maybe she thought I was trying to be disruptive in the class, because my dad was the pastor at the church that had the school, and she probably thought I was a spoiled pastor's kid or something. 
and truly, in honesty, it embarrassed me. I'm very much an introvert. I don't like being in front of people. And I, it embarrassed me to go up there, but she thought I was trying to do it to just cut up and get this class disrupted. But genuinely, I could not see the board. And after several months, she finally went to my dad, and she said, you might have to have Greg's eyes checked. My dad never took us to the doctor, hardly ever, unless we were. it was an emergency situation. We didn't have a lot of money. And so my dad doctored us kids most of the time. And I don't know where in the world he got it from, but he, he had an eye chart in his office somehow. I have no idea who, who keeps an eye chart in their office, but anyway, he did. He called me up to his office, and he put that thing on the wall, and he stood me about five feet away from it. He said, uh, read, read the, the lowest letter you could. And I said, E. He said, what else? I said, that's it. He said, your eyes are fine. Go back to class. <laughs> he really did. True story. That actually happened. I remember uh, finally after a few more weeks, my mom, uh, I must have talked him into taking me to an eye doctor. And uh, back then you had to order your glasses and wait 10 or 12 days to get them in, however long it was. And we went down to Eckerd Drugstore and ordered those uh, glasses and couldn't wait for them to come in. I remember, I remember putting those glasses on for the very first time and we walked out of the, the little cubicle that we were in where they were fitting them to my face and we went up to the cash register, and my mom and dad were going to pay. For the very first time in my life, I realized that you could actually read prices on things that were behind the counter. I didn't know you could do that. I just thought everybody saw that way. And then we walked outside, and I could see individual blades of grass that were far away from me. I never knew you could do that. I always I, I could see them up close, but I never... I never remembered a time in my life seeing an individual blade of grass at 15 or 20 feet. I looked up at a tree, and I'd climbed a lot of trees. I knew what leaves were. I saw them, and I could see them from a short space, but I never knew you could see individual leaves of a tree from 30 or 40 feet. Never knew it. And I, It was during that time, and this will date me a little bit, that there was a program on the television called The Six Million Dollar Man. And I used to tell people when I put my son, when I put my glasses on, I had a bionic eye. You know, I could see. I wanted the sound effect to take place. And I think of that so often because before I got those glasses, I didn't know any different. I just thought that's how everybody saw. But when my eyes were able to see more clearly, I was amazed at the detail that I could see. When I come to Psalm 34 and verse number 3, the psalmist writes this. He says, I will magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. And I gave some thought this week as I was getting a message ready. I, I gave some thought to, what does this mean, O oh, magnify the Lord? There are two things I thought about that I think are, are absolutely true. When we magnify the Lord, and those of you that uh, have glasses or those of you that use magnifiers for different things, you understand this, that it makes that appear bigger, makes it larger. And when you make it larger, more people can see it. And I would say that one of the first points I would make this morning about magnifying the Lord is that when you and I magnify Him, it allows more people to see Him. I would say secondly... When we magnify the Lord, it allows us to see more of Him. And what I want to get to this morning is this idea of magnifying the Lord, not only in our lives where we see more of Him, but then taking Him out into this world and magnifying Him before others so that they may see Him as well. There are three areas of our lives, I believe, that uh, we ought to be magnifying the Lord in. And I want us to look at several uh, passages of Scripture. Keep your Bibles handy. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to just give a speech. I like to use Scripture and let it be what God has said about these things. And so let's look at several passages of Scripture. I, I think that three areas that we need to focus on uh, magnifying the Lord in our lives. First of all, turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3, and uh, we're going to read in verse number 10. Philippians chapter 3, and uh, let's look in verse number 10. Uh, 
Paul writes this, "...that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death." Now, I'm going to back up just... Let's back up a verse and get a running start into it. He says in verse number 8, "...yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the what? The what? Verse number 8. The knowledge of Christ. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord." For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. One of the areas I think that we need to focus on magnifying the Lord in, is in our knowledge of who He is. Paul saw the Lord Jesus Christ more and more as his ministry expanded. He began to see the attributes of God. I, a number of years ago, read a book, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, by A.W. Tozer. And in chapter 2, he says, Whatever we think God to be, He is not. And the reason he said that is because whatever we think God to be in our minds, God is far superior to that, and we cannot even grasp by the time we've exhausted our, our mental capabilities, by the time we've exhausted our vocabulary and our energies of reason, we've not even begun to describe who God is. And yet we're, we're content, isn't it? Often in the day that we live, we are content to go through our life not searching out the attributes to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. To not get to the place where we count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. When it comes to magnifying the Lord, I think that when it comes to magnifying Him, we need to put a focus on knowing Him more. Learning more about Him. Now, there are two ways that we learn about Him. One of them is His work that He does in our lives. I think we are so blinded to this so many times we don't pay attention to this. That God does a work in our lives every single day, and yet oftentimes we don't attribute that to Him. We don't think of it as God doing something in our lives. You know, the Bible tells us that were it not for His mercies, we would be consumed every day. How many of you woke up this morning? How many of you are still asleep? <laughs> How many of you woke up this morning? That was a work of God. How many of you got dressed this morning? That was a work of God. How many of you ate breakfast this morning? That was a work of God. And here's the problem. We get so accustomed to God working in our life, we fail to magnify Him in our knowledge. We fail to take some time to meditate on who He is and the divine work that He does in our lives. How many of you are living a different life now that you're saved than you did before you were saved? That's a miracle. That's a work of God. And yet, how often do we give him attribute to him for the work that he's done in our lives? People talk about us, boy, you're sure a blessing to me, and we we kind of swell up. <laughs> I sure am. I'm quite the blessing, aren't I? The truth is, it's not us. It's work he's done in us. And as Christians, we need to have a revival of understanding in our knowledge of God that he's magnified. He's the creator of the universe. The psalmist wrote, He is the King of the kings. He is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He's the one that, that has done uh, the work of protection and divine leading of His people through the promised land, through the wilderness to the promised land. He's the one that has set up kings and taken down kings. He's the one who brought salvation to mankind when mankind had no hope. He's the God of all gods. He's the God of the universe. And we oftentimes... So minimize Him in the day that we live. The problem of man is, we always want to bring God to our level, and we want to exalt ourselves to His. And this is the great battle of the human will, where we lose vision of who He is. It does us well from time to time to say, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. It does us good to say in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. It does us well to sing uh, the Psalm 100, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is what? God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. 
Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name, for the Lord is good. It does us well. It does our hearts well to see Him in Scripture. And yet so often in our lives we're content with going about caring for our families. And you ought to care for your family. But we're content with it. We're content with uh, building a household. We're content with uh, our work. And we're content with our amusements and the things that we go out and do for entertainment throughout the week. And give very little uh, conscious time to learning more about Him. The songwriter wrote years ago, More about Jesus, let me know. Let me learn. More of His holy will discern. Spirit of God, my, my keeper be showing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus. It ought to be the hunger and thirst of our life. It ought to be the words on our lips. Lord, let me hear more of You. Let me learn more of You. Let me see more of You. We need to learn to magnify Him in the area of our knowledge of Him. Look also with me in Second Peter, if you will, and verse number 3. 2 Peter and verse number 3. I'm sorry, chapter 3, in verse number 18. 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse number 18. Peter, as he ends this letter, says, But grow in grace and in the what? Knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. And he ends it with, Amen. Amen's the expression that's used. So be it. I'm in agreement with that. Absolutely. When somebody says amen in church, they're saying, that's true, that's right, I, I believe that, I see that. Peter writes this, he says that we are to grow in two areas. We are to grow in the grace of God, and we are to grow in the knowledge of Him. Can I say this, that is magnifying Him in our knowledge. We are growing, we're expanding, we are learning about Him. I was listening to a man years ago preach, his name was Sam Gipp, and he was uh, a fellow, he had read through the Bible, I think at that time, about 50 or 60 different times in his life. And he told uh, the folks, folks he was speaking to at the time, he said, every time I go through it, I go to it with a specific purpose. And uh, he said, just different purposes each time I, I go to it, uh, maybe one time looking for uh, God's uh, supernatural workings in the lives of men. And maybe that's all I'm looking for when I read that time through. Maybe another time he's reading through and, and he's looking for all of the workings that God did with the nation of Israel. And so he would pick a theme each time through the Bible and he would look for them. He said one of the most life-changing times was when he came to the Bible and he said, I want to find out everything about God that it says about Him that I can this time through the Scriptures. And he said, I learned that rather than coming to the Word of God and reading it, that I was going to come and I was going to read about the God of the Word. And I thought, well, what a great statement. That when we come to the pages of this book, we don't read it for the sake of it being God's Word. We look for God in it. We, we try to expand the knowledge of Him, to understand Him more. The truth of the matter is, we can make a lifelong study of it and still not even be close. But it ought to be something we strive for. When the psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together, it is hard to exalt a God that you do not know. <clears throat> I uh, occasionally have been invited to speak somewhere. Uh, and sometimes in a chapel at a college or at a, at a Christian school or something, I'll go to preach. And uh, if it's a place I've never been before or the people don't know me well, they, uh, they ask me, they say, Can you write a little, a little bit of a, about background about you so when we introduce you we can explain who you are? And I have to write a little thing and send it to them. And, you know, hey, I'm, my name's Greg, and I was born, you know, at an early age and that kind of thing, and send it to them. Uh, and, and they'll have to read that. Because it is difficult to tell somebody about someone you don't know. If we're to exalt Him and to magnify Him both in our life and, in the, and so that others can see Him as well, we need to expand the knowledge we have of Him. I could use the word that the psalmist used. We need to magnify Him in our knowledge. That means when I come to the Bible, I'm not just checking off my Bible reading schedule. If my mind leaks and doesn't remember things like it so often does, that means I'm going to get out a notebook because I don't want to miss the things I learn about God today. And I'm going to write those down as I find them. And not only am I going to write them down and set them on the shelf, but I'm going to from time to time pull that out and I'm going to read through those things that I learned about God. I want to meditate on Him. I want to think on Him. 
I want when I wake up in the morning to, to be so, so wrapped up in who God is that the very first thought of my mind as I wake up in the morning is, Lord, what do you have for me today? Jesus told his disciples, he used this verbiage. He said that you need to abide in me and let my words abide in you. The Apostle Paul, I believe, was, was so wrapped up in who God was that every moment of every day uh, he woke up with the idea, Lord, what do you have for me today? He said he brought his body into captivity every day. He brought every thought into captivity. He buffeted his body so that he would conform to the, to the will of God. He talked about the fact that he put all, all those things in the past behind him and they pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he lived consciously every moment of every day with the knowledge of God. And as he grew further in his ministry, that knowledge of God expanded. And we know that because early in his ministry, he looked at himself and he looked at the holiness of God and said, I am a sinner. And by the middle of his ministry, years into it, he said, I am a great sinner. But by the time he got to the end of his ministry, he had gotten so close to who God is and seen Him for who He is so much that when he looked at himself, he said, I am the chiefest of sinners. Why? Because he was drawing close to a holy God. And by the way, can I help you with something here? If we think too highly of ourselves than we ought, it's simply because we've not drawn close enough to Him. Because when you draw closer to a holy God, your own sinful nature becomes more and more apparent, becomes more evident. So much so that when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, that he at verse number 5 or verse number 6, I believe, of that chapter said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Sometimes I hear these preachers that get up in services and they talk about having a vision and seeing God and how they talk and they sit down for a cup of coffee or they walk arm in arm or they're, they're, they're discussing just having a leisurely chat. Can I tell you, every time you hear a story like that, don't you believe one ounce of it? Because every time I find God coming to man in Scripture, I find men falling down saying, Woe is me. I can't even speak in His presence. Why? Because they were brought more into the presence of the holiness of God. Can I tell you this? You want to find a way that will help you stay humble and help you be more of what you ought to be as a Christian? Draw closer to the Lord. When we draw closer to the Lord, we begin to see more and more the world spots that are on our heart's door. Those things that, that corrupt our hearts. We begin to see the things that the world has influence of us on more clearly. Because our vision has magnified God in our knowledge. The second area that I think we need to be able to magnify God in is in our devotion to Him. Turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. And I would say this, I believe quite clearly in Scripture that there is a direct relation between the amount of knowledge that we have of God and the amount of love or devotion that we have for Him. If we know Him less, we are less devoted and love Him less. But the more we know Him, the more we are devoted and love Him. It's amazing if you can think back to that time when you saw that boy or that girl as a young age and your heart started beating a little faster. And you thought, boy, I like that person. And, 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 and you, you might have had some attraction to them. But, but before you married them or before you dated them, you began to, to get around them a little bit more. You began to talk with them a little bit more. And I would say it this way, you got to know them before you ever learned to love them. When it comes to the area of our knowledge and magnifying Him in our knowledge, I believe it is crucial and it is critical for our magnifying of our devotion and our love for Him. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. And let's look in verse number 5. God is speaking to Israel here. And He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, can I tell you, that pretty well covers everything. That means we're supposed to love Him so much it almost hurts because we just can't, we just can't express the love we have for Him so much. 
When Jesus was being tempted by the lawyer in the New Testament during His earthly ministry, they asked Him, they said, what is the great commandment? And Jesus quotes this verse. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. He said, The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two laws hang all the law and the prophets. It wasn't about the knowledge there. It was about the love. But when we magnify Him in our knowledge, we'll begin to love Him more. And I would say this secondly, we need to magnify Him in our love and our devotion for Him. When was the last time we could look at our lives and say, I believe that I really do love the Lord with all my heart. I really do believe that I love Him with all of my soul. I know for a fact we can never really say the third one. I love Him with all my might. I was listening to a fellow a number of years ago. He said there are three things that make up every person. What we know, what we are, and what we do. I believe so often we focus on what we know and what we do in the Christian life, and we don't spend near enough time on what we are. That, that inner man, that being inside of us that is in awe of God. The Bible uses the phrase, the fear of the Lord. To look at God in utter, uh, just amazement. Where language cannot even express the way we see and feel about Him. We live in a day where, I'll be frank with you, because the love of many has waxed cold, we are seeing the world grow worse and worse. Because Christians have lost their savor. Christians have hidden their light under the bushel because their hearts have not been stirred enough. When was the last time your heart was moved because God's love became so apparent in your life? You just loved Him so much for who He was. You started thinking on Him and all that He has done for you and all that He has done for humanity throughout Scripture and your heart just overwhelmed. There's sometimes I'll be driving down the road if I'm by myself, and I'll be thinking about things, and I'll be talking to the Lord, and uh, you know how we do when nobody's there, we just talk out loud to Him, you know, we just like He's in the seat next to us. And, and there's times I'll get to talking about the, the burdens I have or a problem I'm having, and then before long I start realizing, here I am complaining to God, and the truth is, God's got it all under control. Yeah, God, God's going to be able to take care of this thing. And, and why am I worried about it? Why am I stressed about it? And then I start talking about how good He is and, and the things He's already done for me and the blessings. And I begin to say, Lord, uh, forgive me for having such weak faith. I didn't see You the way I should have. I didn't have the right vision of You. There's times I get weeping and I'll, I'll just the tears will pour as I think, Lord, You're, you're, so, you're so much that I can't even fully understand. And my weakness in faith and my, my discouragement in life, that's my fault, not yours. That's because I haven't seen you clearly the way that I need to see you. I haven't magnified you in my life the way that I needed to. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12, another very familiar passage that many times people quote. Romans chapter number 12 and verse number 1. Paul says this, I beseech you, therefore, and I want to stop for a moment. We don't use the word beseech in common language much anymore. It's a great word. We just don't use it very often. Uh, if I need something uh, done, I don't go to my son and say, Jonathan, I beseech you to go empty the trash. I don't use that word. Because beseech has a strong emotion attached to it. Beseeching has an idea of beyond just asking, but asking with great feeling with great urgency. And, and, and he even gives the reason for this. He says, I beseech you therefore by the what? Mercies of God. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. God has given us mercy. Is there anything greater in all the world to give Him praise for than His mercy? According to the psalmist, 
His mercies endureth what? Forever. If there's a doubt about it, He said it in every single verse of that psalm. His mercy endureth forever. Sometimes we ought to get to the place where we just say that out loud, Lord, I know that Your mercy endureth forever. Why do I have reason to be ashamed? Why do I have reason to be discouraged? Why do I have reason to be in worry? Your mercy endureth forever. He says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Can I tell you this? Laying your life as a sacrifice to God. That means taking your will and crucifying it and saying, Lord, I want your will. Full and absolute. Do you know that's not even the exceptional Christian life? Paul says that's just your reasonable service. That's just what normally ought to happen. And yet so often we think of somebody who's a sacrifice to God as somebody that's extraordinary. Boy, look at that Christian. Well, I wish I could be like that one. No, no, that ought to be the norm for every Christian. Why? Because we love Him. After all He's done for me. Sacrifice that He made that He didn't have to so that I could be loved by Him and I could in turn love Him back. Why would I not give Him all of me? Why would I not lay my life and my will down in His hands and say, Lord, it's Yours? We need to magnify Him in our love and our devotion. We need to get to a place where we get alone in a quiet space and begin to meditate on Him and to pray and say, Lord, I I just want to know You more. And let Him draw your hearts. I've been through one, what I believe to be a literally God-given, Holy Spirit-led revival in my lifetime. It lasted two years. I'm 52 years old. I know I've got less in time in front of me than I have behind me. I'd love to see God do it one more time before I go. And I truly believe that if we could ever get our hearts to the right place, God could do it. God could do some extraordinary things. But we need to learn to magnify Him. And our love and our devotion for Him. And then thirdly, we need to magnify Him in the area of our testimony. Look with me, if you will, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. First Timothy chapter number 6, and look with me, if you will, in verse number 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters, I want you to see this phrase, worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Can I tell you this, in the area of our life, now that we're saved, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 6, His servants ye are to whom ye obey. We are the servants of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible tells us that the servant who is under the yoke needs to count their master worthy of all honor. That the name of God be not blasphemed, His doctrine be not blasphemed. Look with me also in Ephesians chapter number 4. We're going to look at several passages here and then bring them all together. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 15, the Bible says, But speak the truth in love, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, that we are to grow up in him in all things, from whom the whole body uh, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. According to the effectual working uh, in the measure, uh, I'm sorry, uh, back verse 14. I, was, I missed the verse that I was looking for. I'm sorry. Ephesians 4.14, here we go. 
that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We are to have a testimony where we are no longer tossed to and fro, but we are speaking the truth. We're not living in the old life. We're not living in the old flesh. We're not carried about with every wind of doctrine or the slight of men. But we are speaking the truth in love. We're proclaiming the truth in love. We are living the truth in love. It's something that when uh, we know Him and we love Him the way that we should, then I believe this very strongly, that we will serve Him the way that we should. Our testimony, our life will be the way that it should. Look with me in Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. And verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We need to make sure we magnify God in our testimony. That our life is a reflection of Him. That our life points men to Him. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter number 1. Second Peter chapter number 1. And verse number 5. 2 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience goodness, goodness goodliness, and to God, I'm sorry, godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Our testimony needs to magnify the Lord. We're to add to our faith. We're to add to our faith. We're to think on things that are true, that are holy. We don't get more saved but we live a life that is pleasing to the Lord because we are saved. Let's go back once again to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And let's look in verse number 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17. We're going to read down through the end of the chapter. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. In the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught Him, uh, taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that soul steal no more, let, but rather let him labor working with his hands that thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another." 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. We need to magnify Him in our testimony. We're living in a day where the world has tried to teach Christians. I'm almost done, so bear with me. The world has tried to convince Christians that it does not matter if you live a holy and a righteous life. It's amazing to me to see how many men will stand, men nothing anymore, there's men and women that stand behind pulpits today that will stand up there having a worldly lifestyle, they'll have worldly speech, they'll speak lingo and language of the world that is not honoring the God. And they, they get up there and they try to do the work of God in a worldly way and in a fleshly way. And can I tell you this, when it comes to magnifying God, it needs to be, He needs to be magnified in our testimony. The Bible is very clear how we are to live and how we're not to live. It tells us to put away the old man and the old nature. It tells us to walk in the new man and the new things. And He gives us list after list, and they're not even exhaustive. It says even sometimes, and such things, and and these types of things. There needs to be a revival among God's people if we're ever going to see God do a mighty work in this world today. There needs to be a revival of God's people returning to magnifying God in our bodies, in the area of righteousness and holy living. There needs to be a revival of it. We're living in a world that is uh, so made so callous the things of the Lord, so common. I'm thankful that God's salvation message reaches a common man, but the things of God are not common. They are to be reverenced. For He is a God that is high and lifted up. We need to have a right view of Him, and when we begin to make Him common in our lives, it's because our view of Him is blurred. It's distorted. If we get to a place where we don't feel like we're living as holy and as righteous as would be pleasing to God, you can mark it down. It's because we have lost our view of Him. For we cannot come close to a holy God without seeing the need for ourselves to be holy in our life. We need to magnify Him. I would say it needs to begin with our knowledge of Him. I know a lot of people who have made emotional decisions. Lord, I want to magnify You in my life. And then they never read the Bible. They don't know enough about Him to magnify Him. They're like the speaker who would try to get up and introduce me, not knowing me. We need to magnify Him in our knowledge. We need to magnify Him in our love and our devotion for Him. Paul said the love of Christ is the thing that constrained him. He said the love of Christ constraineth me. If you can't serve God any other way then out of obligation and obedience, then at least do it that way. But that's not where the joy in serving Him comes from. The joy in serving Him comes from serving Him because you love Him. Because you just love Him with all of your heart. And then lastly, we need to magnify Him in our testimony. There is nothing wrong with Christians saying, I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live separated people in the world. And trust me, it's no different for this pastor than it is for anybody sitting out here. I still have people come to me and say, what's the big deal about that? Why don't you just do that? That's not a big thing. It is to me. There are things I I refrain from. There are things I don't do because it is a standard that God has shown me through His Word. And the pressure of this world is going to try to get us to live the way they live. People that are contrary to God, they want others to join them. And when somebody says, no, I'm going to to do what the Bible says, it causes them to feel bad about what they're doing. I was talking to someone just this week, and I told them up front when I began to counsel with them, I said, Look, if you're asking me to give you my opinions or my thoughts on some things to help you through your problems, I'll tell you right now, I don't have the answers. And I don't. 
But I said, I do have a Bible, and I know that the Bible has answers. And I said, so as long as you know up front that when I'm talking with you about the things we're going to talk about, I'm going to always default back to what does the Bible say about it. I said, if you're willing to do that, I'll counsel with you. And so we began to counsel, and we got about a half an hour or so into it. And the person said, I just don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's right. And I looked at him, and I made this statement. I said, you know, there are things that my old flesh nature doesn't agree with either and doesn't like. But I said, at some point in my life, I came to a decision that I was not going to trust my will or what I liked or what my flesh enjoyed. But I was going to trust this book. And I said, there are things I'm telling you that, to be honest with you, my nature disagrees with. But I know this book is true. And so I hold to it. I try to live by it. I try to teach others it. And folks, we've got to get to a place where when it comes to magnifying God in our testimony, this book becomes our soul and only authority. You say, well, I think this. I'm glad you think that. But we need to get away from saying, I think, and say, this is what the Bible says. Well, I feel this. I'm glad you feel that. I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling, but it's not our authority. This book is. And I'll be real frank with you. We're living in a time where there need to be a group of Christians, and there need to be a lot of them, that will stand up and say, I'm not going to determine what's right and wrong by what the world considers right and wrong. And I'm not going to determine what's right and wrong by how I feel about it or what I think about it. I'm going to determine what's right and wrong by what this book says, and then I'm going to strive to live it. And we need to magnify Him in that area. Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. My message is this, and let us exalt His name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we pray that You would help us to magnify You in our lives. In these areas that we've spoken of, I pray that You'll help us to magnify You. That men may see You more.